Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Wednesday, September the 7th. 2022 and at 7 a.m. here at the manse in Spotswood. It's kind of a dreary day outside. I think it's going to rain most of the day, but nevertheless, it is good to be in a nice, warm, dry place um, where we can enjoy this time together. I hope that all of you are doing well and that you had a pleasant Tuesday and that your week is just speeding along nicely. I know that mine uh, is speeding along. I appreciate your prayers yesterday. I think I'm I think I'm on the mend. I really don't know what's going on here, but nevertheless, I appreciate your prayers, and um, I do feel better today than I did yesterday, and I actually slept last night, which is always a plus, right? So uh, so thank you for that. It's good to be back with you as we continue to make our way through the gospel according to John, and we're finally through chapter 8. Chapter 8 is one of those long ones, 59 verses, okay? A lot of discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees. A lot of different things pop up, right? You can use the Pharisees and some of these corrective conversations Jesus has sort of as a reverse barometer, right? Evaluate yourself in light of what the Pharisees are saying and in light of what Jesus is saying and make sure that you are on Jesus's side, okay? Um, and we can even do that with the passage that we come to today as we deal not with the Pharisees questioning Jesus, but with genuine questions from Jesus's disciples. And it's a pretty stark contrast. I don't know if you remember where we left off yesterday, but um, verse 59 tells you just about everything you need to know. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Y'all, this is, of course, after Jesus made the most controversial statement, most likely, of his ministry, um, where uh, they get into this tit-for-tat over Abraham. Not really tit-for-tat, but, but the Jews call on Abraham as their ancestor. Jesus, of course, a couple of days ago, we saw that Jesus said, your father is the devil. Um, Jesus says, listen, you don't know me because you don't know God, and you don't know God because you don't know me. And ultimately... Jesus makes that, 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 that declarative statement that uh, if you'll follow his works, right, if you'll, if you'll follow his commands, you'll never taste death. And, of course, he's referring to ultimate spiritual death in hell. They reply to him, what is that? So, so you're saying that, 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 that you're never going to die? Are you saying you're better than Abraham? Are you saying you're better than the prophets? Jesus' response was, before Abraham was. I am. Y'all, again, evoking the name of God, the personal name of God. Jesus is declaring himself to be God the Son. And of course, he was right. Yes, Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem, but God the Son has always existed in perfect communion with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. We know it from John chapter 1. He's the agent of creation. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So indeed, before Abraham was, God the Son is. As Jesus said, I am. And it was at this that the Pharisees decided, all right, that's it. He's got to go. And they pick up stones to murder him right there. Shouldn't surprise us. Jesus told us all about who they are. Um, he said in verse 44 of John chapter 8, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding for, to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
so what they're doing here, they're just doing what their father wants them to do. And their father is the devil. Now, that's where we end up yesterday. Jesus slipping away quietly because they want to take him. They want to kill him right there. But where we pick up today is in John chapter 9. We've finally broken through. We're in John chapter 9. And we see another sign, right? Another sign that Jesus offers that points to both his identity as God the Son, but also to the fact that the kingdom of God comes with him. That the kingdom of God is there amongst them in him. But we also see an interesting subject along the way. All right, let's pray and then we'll dig in. God and our Father, what a blessing it is to have this time together. We pray that you would guide us in it. Help us as we look at this interaction between your son and our Savior and his disciples. As they ask a genuine question and as he answers it. And yet at the same time works this miraculous sign all pointing us to who he is, to why he came, to what your kingdom is like. Father, guide us by your Holy Spirit now that we would understand. Give us ears to hear, eyes that see, uh, and Father, hearts that, that are made of flesh that beat away instead of hearts made of stone. So please guide us now. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. John chapter one or nine, excuse me, beginning in verse one, it says this. It says, as he went along, now this is the he is Jesus here. Okay? So as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. In other words, a man that was born blind. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? All right, time out. Pause. You know, y'all, there's a lot of stuff going on here, and there's different theories about why the disciples asked this. Now, let's go ahead and lay out what we know. We know that every pain, every difficulty in this world, every hard thing in this world is ultimately the result of sin entering the world, right? Death is the result of sin entering the world. Were there no sin, there would be no death. That's why God tells us that the wages of sin is death. Right. If there's no sin, then there's no wage of death to be earned. However, you all know that Adam fell. Right. Go all the way back to Genesis. You can read all about it. And because sin is in the world, there is death, there is destruction, there is hurting. So as they're going along, they see a peculiar set of circumstances. They see a man who was born blind. And y'all, I, I don't know the statistics on this. I don't know how rare it is, um, but it had to have a, a, an effect of, of rarity on the disciples because this situation stuck out to them. People went blind all the time, especially without modern medicine, that sort of thing. People went blind all the time, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody that was born blind. And notice the question that his disciples ask. And, and side note, this shows us the kind of relationship that his disciples actually have with Jesus, right? That they are transparent with him, that they are willing to ask him questions. This is just one that's recorded. We have no idea how many questions they would have asked Jesus as they went along just in day-to-day -day ministry, right? I mean, it's entirely plausible that they could have asked him thousands of questions like this. But their question is fascinating. Because it kind of points to a lot of times where we come from. You know, there's a couple of things going on here, but the overall thing is they see someone 
who is struggling. And the first question they ask is, all right, what sin did he commit that caused this? Or if not him, what did his parents do that God would punish them by giving them a child who was born blind? You see, there's two things going on here. One thing that we know for sure is this Old Testament idea uh, of, of retribution that is immediate, right? Where you find this throughout the Old Testament that I will be your God, you will be my people. If you stop being my people, well, then you're going to die. Right. Obey God and live. Disobey God and die. Honor your father and your mother so that it may go well with you and so that you may live a long life. What's the alternative to that? Life isn't going to go well for you and you're not going to live a long life and you're not going to enjoy the land that you are entering to take possession of. Right. It's this idea of this, you know, immediate retribution thing. That may be some of what's going on. Um, Calvin, when he wrote about this, he hypothesized that there was there was a popular belief at this time, and it's not reincarnation, but instead it, it came out of Pythagoras, right? The Pythagorean theorem guy, right? Philosopher, theologian. Uh, Pythagoras theorized that there's like a soul transfer that goes on. Right. And it's this idea that, that souls go from body to body. And so when they ask, you know, we can read this and we say, well, that's ridiculous. How can a baby in the womb sin? Right. How can how can how can an, an infant who has not yet been born be guilty of sin? Well, the overall answer is we're all born in sin. We're conceived in sin. We have a sinful nature. But that's not what they're talking about. Pythagoras. Um, theorized that there was this weird soul transfer kind of thing. And so it's entirely plausible that the disciples are, are asking, hey, is, is it his parents that are guilty of sinning? Or did he sin before he was born? In other words, before this soul was transferred to this man's body, was this soul guilty of some great sin? We don't know that for a fact, but we do know it was a rather popular opinion in, uh, in first century Israel. So that could be what's going on. But again, I think the overall issue is this idea of immediate retribution. So they want to know, who was it? Because obviously somebody had to sin to warrant such judgment. That's the core, you see. They view this as an issue of judgment, as an issue of consequences. Listen to how Jesus replies. Verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, that brings us to a very powerful theological truth. It certainly applies to this man who was born blind, but it may, may very well apply to the situations that you are facing in your life right now at this moment. You know, y'all, again, when difficulty comes, there's a tendency within us, or there can be a tendency within us, to blame. It's the number one game that we play. It's the blame game. Then we like to have a pity party, right? After the game is over, then the party really starts. But the blame game a lot of times starts with, you name it, right? We can blame our parents. We can blame ourselves. We can blame somebody else. We can blame our decisions. We can blame God. The disciples are coming at this with a retribution slash judgment slash consequences mindset. And Jesus points out that the affliction that this man faces has nothing to do with sin. Again, verse 3, Jesus says this happened so that the work of God may be displayed in his life. 
Y'all, when you see somebody struggling, make sure that you guard yourself. Now, let me be very clear. You know, there's a church sign out there and it won't fit on ours, but uh, the saying everything happens for a reason, right? And the church sign says, sometimes the reason is you're unwise and you make stupid decisions, right? So consequences are a very real thing. I'm not saying that they aren't. And I'm not saying that we don't make decisions sometimes that have echoes not only in our lives, but in our children's lives and down to the third and fourth generation. I'm not denying any of those things. However, we need to be careful not to be so quick to judge because the reality is with other people's lives and even with your life, there are times where God leads you into times of great struggle. There are times when you face affliction. And it has nothing to do with God smiting you for something, with God waiting around the corner to jump on you. No, 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 no. It has everything to do with the fact that we are afflicted from time to time so that God can do everything from showing his glory in us, right? Other people can pray for us. God can bring healing. As a result, that can build other people's faith. Sometimes you face afflictions because God is working to build your faith. You know, C.S. Lewis was fond of saying that pain is God's megaphone to arouse a deaf world. It is when we struggle. Um, it is when we, we face insurmountable odds. It's when we face unredeemable situations that then, often enough, we will rely on God. And that's not a consequence from sin that God brings to our life. That's God teaching us. That's God helping us to grow in faith. So what I'm saying is, and forget about me, what Jesus is really pointing to here is not every affliction in life is the direct consequence of sin. Not every affliction that we face is, oh, where did I mess up? Or what did somebody else mess up and do that caused this to me? No. Jesus points to God's work here, to God's sovereignty. They want to know why this man was born blind? Jesus tells them. This happens so that the work of God might be, on, might be displayed in his life. The fact is, is that you might be facing trouble right now. You might be going through hardship, and the source of it is that, that God is giving you the opportunity to trust in him, that God is giving you the opportunity to point to his greatness and, and, and his faithfulness that God is giving the people in your life the opportunity to trust in him and to turn to him in prayer. Does that mean that the things that we face that are terrible aren't hurtful? No. Does that mean that we don't go through pain? No. But what this does or what this ought to do is it ought to give us perspective here. And it ought to give us appreciation for the fact that the Lord is always working. To that end, Jesus continues says in verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Right? Now, this is the concept we're going to pick up with tomorrow. I went way too long yesterday, so we're going to end early today. But what is Jesus talking about this business as long as it's day, night is coming, all of these things? That's what we're going to dig in tomorrow. But the overall, the easy understanding of this is that time is of the essence, that we all have an opportunity to choose how we will respond to the adversity that we face on a daily basis. How will you respond 
Now, let's say that the situation you are facing is the direct result of sin and you know it. Y'all, the response should be the same. Humble reliance on God. If you're in a situation because of your sin, stop, ask God to forgive you, and turn around and go the other way. That's called repentance, right? But, but whether you need to do that or whether you are facing difficulty that has nothing to do with anything of your creation, the answer is to trust. The answer is to commit that situation to prayer. The answer is to diligently seek the truth of God's word and that it will be your final authority. So take the time to do that today. Take the time to consider that as you look at the people in your life that you know need prayer. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for this time that you've given to us and this instance with the man that was born blind and unbelievable circumstances there, Father, that so few of us can relate to. Yet you tell us why this happened. Oh, Father, that we would view the adversity in our lives as opportunities to point to your greatness. Help us to seek your face, to diligently pray, to focus our wants, our efforts, our desires on you, because you are good to your word. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Let's see. I see Monica. Good morning. And there's Becky and Christine. Good morning. And Elizabeth and the other Becky. Yes. Thank you. And then there's Helen. Oh, again, y'all, thank you so much for being here with us. Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow morning at 7.